This is an ABC podcast. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack Podcast. And we're back. We're ready for a good time. It's the Shake Up, as always, for a Friday episode. And listen, there was a fair bit in the news this week. Some serious, some definitely not serious, as you're about to hear. Let's get into it because I know you've got a lot to say. It's important that we try and get this voice referendum on the right track. Congratulations to the church for this woke BS. Only blokes with small penises drive sports cars and I don't have a small penis. On Triple J. (laughs) There's a bit in there. Polly's back in Parliament. It definitely feels like we're back into the swing of the news grind there, but it doesn't mean we cannot have a bit of fun as well. And so we're going to do that. And let's do it with the great shake-up crew. Who have I got this week? Who have I got? A couple of all-stars. First, our favourite sexologist, educator Lauren French. How the hell are you? I'm amazing. I'm down in appendix, but honestly, I don't miss it. (laughs) I'm sorry, you're down in appendix? Yeah, but who really needs them? (laughs) So it's been a busy week for you? Indeed, but I'm very happy to be here. Oh, my gosh. So you're backing it up for us. That is commitment, Lauren. And I would only expect it for someone from you. You get the appendix removed. You're in the studio a few days later. Thank you. I'm nothing if not committed. You are. You are. (laughs) Also on the panel, joining me in my studio for a change, former WA Liberal leader. He's now with the National Indigenous Times, Zach Kirkup. How does it feel being over east? Oh, it's, it's so good to be here, Dave. It's N- just, you know, N- full N- appendix and everything. Oh, okay. You've got your appendix. <laughs> That's right. No That's... need to brag. <laughs> so sorry, Lauren. <laughs> hey, we're not going to get into all that, but look, you're not going to find any spearmint, spearmint milkshakes over here because that's a big thing in WA, right? Well, is it? Yeah, apparently. Oh, I think they're bloody awful. Oh, so you don't like them? <laughs> no, I don't. Interesting. I might not be able to come back. Mark McGowan might shut me out. Controversy oh, starts early. Okay, we're told you'd be talking about controversial things. And we're not lying. Remember, you were part of this conversation as well, so get into it. Call, message in. I want to hear from you. Let's go. Hack. I don't want to see it lost. It would be a disaster for our country if it was lost. On Triple J. Yeah, a lot of talk about the voice to Parliament this week. Probably not a surprise because Parliament is officially back. So the politicians are out there. They're talking about all sorts of things. Going to be a referendum on this really important issue later this year. So there is a lot of coverage, a lot of debate and a lot of passion. I'm looking forward to the year of the voice, actually. Yes, there are already people out there pushing misinformation on social media. Throwing up outrage, trying to start a culture war. So the National Party has made a position that we will not support the voice to Parliament. And we deserve better than an advisory body. We have an opportunity to have a treaty. Sovereignty is not affected by the establishment of the voice and we have assurances about that. I think it's really important for us to get the detail, to understand what it is the government's proposing. There's, you know, only so far we can go in terms of those questions. I mean, we can't tell you the address or location of the building of what the voice will be or what the business cards will look like. Right now, it's important that we try and get this voice referendum on the right track. I don't want to see it lost. It would be a disaster for our country if it was lost. On Triple J. Yeah, the conversation around the First Nations voice to Parliament. Have you been following it in the news? Are you staying across all the updates? Because there are a lot of updates. Maybe you are a First Nations person. What do you think of how this is being covered in the media and by politicians? 
You can call in 1300 055536. You can message in as well 0439757555. Let's get into it with our Shake Up panel and we've got two First Nations guests, sex educator Lauren French and Zach Kirkup from the National Indigenous Times. Hey Zach, you're right across this, I imagine. Um, are you surprised by the way this has been playing out in politics? I, I wish I could say I'm surprised by it. I mean, ultimately what we're asking the Australian people to do, and thus our politicians, is take us take a side, take a, take a view on things. Ideally, if you're, if you're for the yes, if you want to see constitutional reform, you want more people on, on your side than, than opposite you. But it's, it's certainly going uh, sped up, I think. The tempo of, of the debate's certainly got a lot more intense in the last couple of weeks. It definitely has. Lauren, has that surprised you? Because, you know, we're speaking to some people and they're saying, look, the Yes campaign hasn't really officially begun yet. We're already fully into these discussions and all sorts of, um, you know, um, conversations are being had. Are you surprised by how far we are along into this? Oh, I don't think surprise would be the word I would use. No, I think anytime you're talking about these sort of topics, anytime you're talking about things that get people really, you know, emotional and invested, uh, I think things always go quickly. And so if the politics are lagging a little bit behind, I don't think anyone's going to be super surprised by that. And so what have you thought, Lauren, of the current political debate surrounding the voice referendum? I think it's... You know, on the whole, I, I agree whether you're on like a yes side or a no side or, you know, if you haven't even actually looked into it that much and you're still trying to educate yourself around the topic. To me, I because of how quickly it's going, I'm just seeing so many parallels to the marriage equality referendum vote and the kind of really the space and opportunity that this can become a really toxic, negative, harmful debate and space. And so I guess for me, I'm just very aware of wanting to keep it as safe for as many people as possible. Yeah. And I mean, I imagine a lot of people would be feeling the same. I know that we had um, Professor Megan Davis, who's the Mm co-chair of the Uluru Statement from the Heart. She was already raising concerns about possible misinformation, but also possible racist messaging being pushed Mm -hmm. as well. Um, So I imagine that would be something that would worry you as well, Lauren. Yeah, definitely. I don't think we ever want to get to a space where as First Nations people, we feel like we have to justify our very existence. And I'm not saying that's what the voice is doing, but I'm saying the arguments and the conversations and the discussions that can come out of this can sometimes feel like, as from a First Nations perspective, that's what we're doing. I don't pretend to uh, represent all First Nations or Aboriginal women or people, and but it does get to feel a bit like that, like we have to justify our very existence because this is coming up in all media spaces. Do you find that as well, Zach? Yeah, it's, it's certainly something that I think is confronting a lot of you know Indigenous people everywhere they turn now, and it's almost like you're expected to have a, a perspective on it that is really, mm. you know, fixed on this. You know, mm. are you for it? Are you against it? It's a question I'm asked really regularly. I mean, I also have the benefit of employing over 50 Indigenous people in Western Australia from, with my company and they're not wanting to talk about it. We don't have a conversation about it. It's almost like, unfortunately, putting it to the back of their mind now because already it's starting to get so heated and there's so much out there now that they just... I'm, I'm actually genuinely worried, Dave, that we're going to see a withdrawal from the debate, generally speaking. Well, that's the risk, right? That's that right. If it gets so heated so early on that, you know, if we don't see this referendum for months and months and months, which we won't, um, that people will be tuning out and yeah. they won't be keeping across things. Zach, there does seem to be a lot of division. Well, not a lot, but there does seem to be division in political parties. And that's political parties across, um, across like, the spectrum, right? The Liberals are yet to commit to a position, but we know there are differing opinions in the party. Then there's the Greens. We saw Senator... 
Lydia Thorpe quit the Greens to focus on a black sovereignty movement. Do you think we're going to see more of that division within the parties in the months ahead? Yeah, I mean, my my party, the Liberal Party, has the biggest... Um has the most at risk, I think, here in terms of how, how it navigates the situation. It's tricky for Peter Dutton. It is tricky for the party generally, and it's not only tricky for Peter Dutton, but it's made more difficult now by the New South Wales election coming up. That might sway some votes. Right. Uh, we've got the Aston by-election now that thankfully Alan Tudge has uh, got out of Parliament. You're going to see people's views start to be probably influenced by positions that the Liberal Party takes, and it's going to be very interesting to see how they navigate that federally and, and stateside as well. I mean, Don Perrottet, the New South Wales Premier, signed uh, an intent with the Prime Minister to establish a voice. So you're seeing this division grow. And you're right, the Greens as well uh, with Lydia Thorpe and a lot of other Green senators taking perspectives. I think that is representative probably of the community at large, that people don't have... You can't expect everyone to have a singular view on this. It's going to be this bandwidth. The, the problem that I have, and Lauren compared it earlier to the same-sex marriage debate, understandably, is that when it comes to uh, same-sex marriage, that had been an issue that was burning for decades in terms of that was the intent. The voice, treaty, recognition genuine reconciliation has been something that has evolved over time and really the voice is only a relatively new concept in the in the scheme of things and so you've got I don't think you have as much momentum behind that and that's where you're starting to see people withdraw what we want what I think anyone would want is you know individuals on the ground indigenous and non-indigenous have a real stake in 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 advancing the debate and at the moment to me it seems like the debate's been run by politicians and academics and not you know the the those people who live in the the streets and suburbs of of Australia and Lauren I guess there's a lot of onus on the media as well how it covers the issue and guides the debate right because things can get pretty nasty really quickly Oh, definitely. And I think particularly for young people, you know, young people in Australia to kind of know what information they're taking on board and, you know, what they want to then have conversations with people about with The Voice and with, you know, learning about it. And I think, as you said, the kind of Yes campaign hasn't really kicked off at all yet. And so you've got maybe people going, well, all I'm hearing is division or arguments. I'm hearing kind of questions and not a lot of answers. And therefore, a lot of people, as you said, might tune out of it. Zach, what do you think of the news that Senator Thorpe quit the Greens? Do you think that's going to be helpful for the yes vote or damaging? I think I think Senator Thorpe, I mean, I, I, she's on very different views politically to me. I think treaty is something that should be advanced far more that's quickly. That's the interesting thing, though, because you've got these um, people who have very different political views. We've got very conservative people. I'm not saying you're very conservative. But we've got very conservative people. We've got very um, progressive people. And they're coming together sometimes in this debate and being like, oh, we agree on this. That You don't see that every day, right? No, and this is, shows the complexity of the task that mm. we're asking Australians to go to the ballot box, you know, thinking about. And I think we should be advancing treaty first. And that's my, my personal opinion. I don't think treaty is such a, a bad word. I don't see why people, government in particular, are so concerned about it. But putting that to one side, Senator Thorpe, I think, is right to advance what she thinks is a, is a passion of a passion that is underrepresented in the community, and that is a black sovereignty movement. Uh, I think she should have been elected to that rather than her party being elected and then her stepping back to serve another five and so years, no longer part of the Greens. But you're starting to see that develop, I think, in our community. I... I just on the point of the yes campaign not really starting yet, I've got to say the thing that gets me there is I don't 
I think they are being, unfortunately, a bit disorganised. Well, I was going to ask, do you think that they were too slow to start the campaign and we already had a lot of voices out there talking about no earlier yeah. this year, even before Parliament resumed? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of clamouring in the, in the yes camp about who's going to lead the charge and what that's going to look like. And if the internal politics is breaking the yes campaign down and means they can't even get out of the blocks to start the race, that's going to be a big problem. And the no camp... There, there's a lot of different personalities in there, not people that I'm personally supportive of, but they're out there loudly about what their, their view is. And it's uh, you need someone skilled to advance a yes argument, and I think they should be doing a lot more to recruit everyday Australians. They should be recruiting identities that aren't academics and politicians. They shouldn't be running this campaign from the University of New South Wales Law School. They should be doing it in the streets to, to make sure that people there, when they're talking around a barbecue understand what it is and why they should be voting one way or the other. And Lauren, like just to the point that you were talking about before about people asking what your opinion is and all the rest, do you find that it's also a thing maybe with non-Indigenous people or some non-Indigenous people, um, you know, having this idea that all First Nations people must have the same opinion or think the same <laughs> on these issues? We are all the same. We share a it's brain, we get together. Um, yeah, no, definitely. And I think like I've definitely heard that from non-Indigenous people around the voice that idea of when you talk about it um, or if you talk about, you know, a, a yes perspective and people coming to you with a, oh, but, you know, I heard that not every Aboriginal person wants a voice. And I'm like, well, yes, I don't think we would ever say that every Aboriginal person is something or every non-Aboriginal person is something. You know, we're not, as we said, we're not just the same people. Um and so I think there's definitely that idea that, oh, well, if we can't 100% every single person all agree, then it's not worth it, which I don't think is the position that anyone wants to sit on. Um, and I think people really need to think about where their values, like as we said, the kind of the everyday Australian, the everyday young person, where your values align with this vote with this idea and with this information that's coming out and trying to, you know, as much as we can, step a little bit outside of that, what will become very political debates. Zach, you got any in, any insider goss? Do you know what the Liberals are going to do? Do you think they could support the Yes campaign? Oh, look, I think, I think you'll see them hold their position until as many electoral issues are out of the way. Right. I, don't, I don't think there's not an imperative on them landing the decision. I think they need to get New South Wales probably out the way before they start to focus on the, on that issue. Uh, they've got to come up with a position relatively quickly. Um, the idea that they might just do it so the party takes a singular view is also going to be very difficult because, mm. you know, the party is, is fractured as it is. Uh, I think about that in, in my own state, in Western Australia, you know, a lot of moderates versus conservatives, you know, not versus, a lot of moderates and conservatives, for example, mm. might take different tacks. So if you take a singularly combined view, that could be damaging to the party internally, externally, at, at the ballot box when it comes to New South Wales, the Aston by-election, all those sorts of things. So I think we're still a little bit uh, off before that comes to a c conclusion. We've got a few messages coming through. Someone, Sula from Darawal Country, says, I'm worried this debate is causing people to forget some serious problems that are happening, like in Alice Springs at the moment. Another person says, I'm not a Liberal voter by any means, but Zach for PM, please. Zach, so nice for your mum to message in all the time. I, know, right? I love that. <laughs> Let's move on. Let us pray our father. Sorry, not anymore a non-gendered parent who art in heaven. On Triple J. For a lot of people, religion's a big part of their lives, God being the central part of that. But is it time some of our biggest religions had a rethink on how we refer to the Almighty, to the Creator? Because one church, one big church is saying, maybe. Hack. Our Father who art in heaven. There is a question proposed that perhaps we should have gender-neutral language when it comes to all these 
men depicted by the Bible, Emma Webb. I've had enough of this. I've just, honestly, I, I, I've had it up to here with the Church of England and their nonsense. It's only a couple of days ago they were suggesting human composting instead of cremation so that they can reach their net zero targets. They basically turned into an exceptionally woke corporate. They are woker than woke. Wow, of all the problems that people have in the world that we can be helping people with poverty uh, and with children and with orphans and with people that are starving around the world, let's go back in and rewrite this so that we don't offend anybody. I think it's fine to refer to God as father or mother or parent. And as I say, there are prayers from the so you Middle You would change the Lord's prayer to say, this our mother not, who are in not something new. On Triple J. Yeah, Church of England, thinking about whether to stop referring to God as he. Apparently, some priests have been pushing for this change. They've launched a commission to look into it. Hey, what do you think about this? I'm especially interested if you are a religious person. Would it impact you? Maybe it's something you've thought about before and thought, oh, I'd like that to change. Or your religion is not talking about this, but you think they should. Or maybe you get dead against it altogether. Let me know. You can call in one 555 You can message in 0439757555. Maybe you think we should have a whole different name for God altogether. Keen to hear what the Shake Up crew thinks of this. Sexologist Lauren French, former WA Liberal leader Zach Kirkup. Hey, Lauren... What do you reckon? What's your take on this one? Um, it's really interesting. I mean, I, you always get a bit worried when people use the word woke like 12 times in a news setting. <laughs> um, it's always a bit of a red flag. Uh, but I think it's, you know, to me it's actually looking at something that could be really appealing to younger That's people. a woke thing to say, Lauren. It is, I know. Oh, I'm so woke. Um, oh, I sound so old when I say it. Uh but I do think because there's something, you know, like I've seen lots of reports coming out around the fact that, you know, each generation is getting less and less into religion in lots of different spaces and, you know, overall as a society we're a less religious society than we have been previously. And, you know, it's that kind of interesting thing when we talk about spaces being inclusive of people and I think people get the wrong idea that when you're going to be inclusive that is actually about, like, cutting people out or, you know, being excluding of people and an idea like that of being gender neutral in terms to talk about some a deity let's say uh could be a little bit more inclusive for large groups of people interesting okay so you're thinking it could help you know solve some of the issues the churches are having maybe losing followers in younger oh, it's, generations it's basically solving the issue of patriarchy is it not oh <laughs> could be, could be. Oh, maybe that that might be a bit too too big of a hot take. Uh, <laughs> Let's go to Christian. Christian's on the line. Hey, what do you reckon? Hey, um, look, I'm I'm a Catholic, and and honestly, I've been um, up and down with with the whole religion thing for for a long, long time, trying to trying to figure out what it means to be religious, and and honestly, I look to it as being a, a, as something that helps me with my spiritual health, and therefore my health in general. Honestly, referring to God or as an entity, as either father, mother, I, I don't really care. It, it really doesn't matter to me. I'm impartial, to be honest. I would rather say, let's, well, you know, almighty creator. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking like maybe there are just a workarounds that we can easily do that we should have been doing the whole time. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. I appreciate your take, Christian. Thank you so much for calling in. We've got another Catholic messaging in saying totally bonkers. Someone else says, what does God think? Well, maybe we could ask. Um, Zach, what do you reckon? Any thoughts on this one? Conservative commentators are loving talking about this at the moment. Uh, I'm sure they are. They need something, they need something new to talk about. Uh, look, I've, I've never really thought about it. Um, the idea to me that, you know, if you take a very 
if you read read the Bible or take the biblical perspective, it refers to you know it refers to God as a as a masculine term. I mean, but I, I think there's a I think you've got to sit with that and, and understand that that's what the sort of biblical perspective. You take a um, a bit more of a I think about the like the woggle in the, in in Noongar, um Dreamtime, which is my uh, local mob in Perth, and that's a, that was a, it's a feminine it's a female snake that laid eggs. You know, there, I think you you ha- there are many many spiritual beliefs that attach a gender uh, to a concept uh, and a belief. And I think in this case, if you're talking about the Catholics or the Church of England or the Anglicans, then if they follow the Bible, then that's a, a reference to a male. If, you do, if you're talking to a, a Noongar elder in, in Western Australia on the banks of the Swan River, they'll talk about the, the Woggle being a dreamtime serpent who's female. It's interesting. And it's interesting what other religions are doing. Like, you know, noting that in Islamic theology, God has no physical body or gender, but he is always referred to with masculine grammatical articles. And then someone from the Church of England said, Christians have recognised since ancient times that God isn't male or female, but we still use the terminology. So maybe it's more about, I don't know, the language that we've got to, we've got to look at and how we adjust that. Um, there are a few things they need to figure out, like they're discussing, oh, what will we say instead of our Father in the Lord's Prayer? Um, I mean, you could just say our God, surely. I don't know. Um, Lauren, do you think sometimes we overthink this stuff? Oh, of course. I mean, I think we can overthink anything. Uh, But I do also want to call out, you know, the caller who spoke just before about the fact that, you know, religion gives, you know, spiritual you know, huge amount of spiritual feelings. It can be really helpful for people. It can be a safe space. And I think anything that makes those spaces safer for people is probably a good thing. And I think, yes, if it takes you maybe 10 minutes to work out what word you're going to use instead of, you know, his Lord or Father or whatever word it is, then I think maybe that 10 minutes is a worthwhile endeavour. Someone on the text line says, I've grown up in a Pentecostal church and I've always been told that when the Bible refers to man, it stands for man and women, oh, men and women. Someone else says, if God wants to be referred to in the masculine, should we tell him he's wrong? Another person says, to be honest, God is bigger than gender. And another person says, God's a woman. One more. God should be renamed Goddy McGodface. Um, you know, <laughs> that's what someone's take is. Um, do you think, Zach, the debate blowing up says a bit about society? Do you kind of agree with Lauren that maybe younger generations think differently about these things and um, the, the blow up is mainly the older generations getting frustrated and younger people are probably like, okay. Oh, not really that invested. Uh, look, I, I'm I'm yet to find. I mean, I'm I'm interested in anyone out there who's offended uh, at the idea that God is a masculine, currently perceived as a masculine term, and that that's the reason they're not following an organised religion. Uh, I think we are probably getting a bit too, you know, into the weeds on this sort of stuff, and mm. we should we should really be focused. I mean, I'm not sure I agree with Lauren's take that this is solves. Um, all the issues with the patriarchy, uh, but otherwise, I would. I there think, may have been a sarcastic undertone there, or I'll, two. Just I to think be we'll, clear, we'll, we'll note the, tr- the tr- on the transcript the sarcastic undertones. <laughs> Thank uh, you. But the idea there that I think there are bigger issues when it comes to gender equality that we need to be focusing on, and this is a bit this is a bit too much of an abstract concept for me. In the past day, the Church of England has also voted to allow blessings for same-sex couples, um, which is a really big deal. That's just happened in the past few hours. Lauren, do you think religion needs to be more open to adapting? Of course, you spoke about this before and said yes, because you think that there are issues with, um, you know, reaching those younger people. But um, is that something that you see actually happening in the years ahead? 
Oh, who knows? Maybe. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be really honest. I'm not a hugely uh, someone that's a part of large religious organisations. Um, and I think I and I do struggle with organisations that inherently have things that are around exclusion of people um, in whatever language that looks like. And so I think it, as much as any organisation in the world, if we want places to remain safe and able for people to get there, like adaption always has to happen. And realistically, the world is not the same as when, you know, the Bible came about or many years ago when these churches may have been first being built. And so I think it is important to move with times. However, however big movement that is, I think we will yet to see. Got a really lovely message that we can leave it on, a nice sentiment. Someone says, all eight billion of us are God together. Love thy neighbour. I had a red HSV for a couple of years, and, and you've got a, everyone used to say to me, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only blokes with small penises drive sports cars, and I don't have a small yeah. penis. Yeah. On Triple J. <laughs> <laughs> Those car noises. You know, when I saw a headline recently saying, research confirms penis size rumour, I thought, yeah, I will click on that actually. <laughs> and let me tell you, I was not disappointed because this wasn't just some straw poll out the back of a pub. This research came from the prestigious University College London and it claims to have found a psychological link between fast cars and smaller dicks. That's what it said. Sorry, that's what it said. It was pretty full-on study. It was very full-on, actually. They basically lied to a group of guys, feeding them misinformation to make some believe they had a small penis. Then others, they told them or made them think they had an average or larger penis. Then they showed them pictures of cars. And the ones who thought they were small loved the fast cars more. Interesting. I'm imagining everyone in a sports car now desperately reaching to change the radio station. Those in the old hatchbacks probably cranking it right now. Is this your experience? Does this stack up? Let me know. 0439757555. Not sure if I'm ready for the text line at the moment. Um, I want to know. Yeah, message me. We're going to ask our shake-up panel. Lucky we've got a sexologist on the shake-up panel. Lauren French, what do you reckon of this? Well, I'm starting to think about what my two-door Toyota Yaris is saying about me <laughs> and my clearly huge big dick energy. Um, but what I find really interesting... So about- many people going around now being like, I ride a Segway, actually. That's yeah. what I do. <laughs> well, I just I find it all fascinating. Any research around, you know, the kind of perception of penis size and this sort of thing is fascinating to me because I, you know, I work for a non-for-profit and do teaching and sex ed in educational spaces. And from like year four in primary school, I get asked questions about how do I get my penis bigger? Really? Yeah. And the, and so it kind of, there's that kind of joking thing of like hilarious, we're all going to look at sports cars now and just like laugh our heads off. But then I also see this from really young kids who are going into kind of the next, you know, teenage years, dating life, all this sort of thing with this huge misconception that having the biggest dick in the world is the most important thing to having a good relationship, sex life or reputation. Yeah, I was going to ask you, because you do sex education, surely, you know, this is a big thing with guys and young guys in particular, that it can be a damaging, um, you know, conversation and, and thing to joke about as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think when you look at from a lot of 
young people are getting a huge amount of sex education from online spaces, potentially um, pornography, and, you know, average penis size in pornography is not average penis size in society. Uh, And so there is a lot of stereotypes and misconceptions happening where people are doing even, you know, medical procedures or looking for medication or looking at things of going, well, I, I couldn't possibly be with a partner or please a partner because I have what is realistically a very normal penis. Zach, you're looking at the clock now thinking, surely we're out of time. Um, <laughs> what was I your... <laughs> no, Zach's excited to share what car he drives. Uh, no. I, I, drive, I drive a Tesla. I'm not sure where that sits. <laughs> I'm a bit concerned now. <laughs> what did you think of this study when you saw it? Uh, look, reporting. I, I, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's a bit odd. Um, I, I think uh, it, it kind of marries up with, you know, you see some blokes out there who I think are probably overcompensating and now we know what they're overcompensating for. Well, also, I'm wondering if it's different in whether you live in different areas. Like if you live in a really remote area or you're out in the bush somewhere, there's probably not a lot of sports cars, but maybe it's the size of your ute or maybe it's um, like sometimes like in my hometown, which is not near rivers or like any like water activities, they've got these huge snorkels and things and big bull bars and stuff. I was like, what's going on there? I don't know. Um, um, interesting to hear if anyone's got some messages. Jonesy in Newcastle says, I have a small penis and I like fast cars. Um, so there's a bit of confirmation there. Someone says, it's less the car and more what you do with it. Wankers who rev their engines loudly are definitely in the little peen club. Um, also lots of reminders of that um, that drink driving ad from years ago that they had in New South Wales. I'm not sure in other parts of the country where someone was holding up their like pinky finger and demonstrating that it's not cool um, to to speed and to be dangerous. I can tell you right now, in the Northern Territory, I did not see that ad growing okay, up. Okay, <laughs> okay. Some people are probably knowing what I'm talking about. Someone on the text line says, the ancient Greeks frowned upon large penises. So there you go. We've learnt something new today on the shake-up. Is and that we... when you see a large penis, you must frown at it? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what you've got to do. That's the appropriate response. Big thanks to our guest, sexologist, educator Lauren French. Thank you. And former WA Liberal leader, Zach Kirkup, thanks for your time as well. Great to be with you in the studio, Dave. Of course. And a big thanks as well to the hardworking Hack Team, executive producer Claire Bloomer, senior producer Serge Negus, our reporters Shalila Madora, April McLennan, Angel Parsons, Kimberly Price, Jack Gow and Nathan Nigidula. Hack on Triple J. Big thanks again to our guests and the hardworking Hack crew, executive producer Claire Bloomer, our senior producer Serge Negus and our reporters for their hard work this week, Shalala Madora, April McLennan, Angel Parsons, Kimberly Price, Jack Gow and Nathan Nigidula. That's all we've got time for for now. I'll catch you next week. Have a great weekend.